It's the billion dollar question. Should college athletes be allowed the right to share in the profits they help generate on and off the field for their university? That question is at the center of a trial underway right now in California. And the verdict could change the playing field in college sports forever. This is TikTok. I'm Dave Myers. Joining me now to help understand exactly what's at stake for college athletes and the NCAA is Bloomberg News Business of Sports reporter Evan Novi Williams. Thanks for joining us, Evan. Thanks for having me. So let's just start us off. Who's involved in this trial and what exactly are they fighting for? Yeah, so this is the latest attempt by college athletes to get a bigger piece of the pie, the, the billions of dollars that they generate you know, for their schools and for the NCAA. We've seen it. It's been a bigger part of the conversation for the past five to ten years. This is the latest and best attempt so far to get that money in their own pockets. So how big is that billion-dollar pie that yeah, you're talking about? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, we're talking tens of billions. So just <laughs> think about the NCAA alone. Most of their revenue comes from the NCAA basketball tournament, March Madness. That's an $8.8 billion contract. Jeez. The college football playoff is a $7.3 billion TV deal with, with ESPN. And then if you factor in all the individual conference deals, if you factor in really all the money that comes in via donations to schools like Alabama and Ohio State, you think about ticket sales, you know, if you add all that up, we're talking tens and tens of billions of dollars. And at the moment, how much of that profit is are, are the student-athletes seeing? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> it's, a, it's a contentious one because that will be brought up a lot in court over the next couple of weeks. Um, right now, athletes, their compensation is capped at – it's the scholarship they get plus room, uh, the cost of attendance, which is a stipend that they now get as of a couple of years ago. Depending on your school, that's an extra two to $5,000. Um, so it's an extra two to $5,000 in their own pocket that they can spend any way they like. Kind of, yeah. But but they get that because the scholarship doesn't cover the full cost of you know gotcha. books or food, et cetera. Um, and the NCAA, their whole position here is that's the maximum that an athlete should get. It's the same amount that, you know, a very good student on the academic side gets, a, a musician. It is the same limit to which all the athletes at school or and all the non-athletes at school are all held to. They feel as though their mandate is we need to treat student athletes as much as we can like students. That will help them ingratiate themselves into the academic community better. You know, that'll help fans watch more of the games. Mm -hmm. That is really what they're going for. And the argument on the other side for, for NCAA athletes is, listen, we're not like any other student. You know, I, I'm generating because I take the field every Saturday. I'm helping generate, you know, $200 million a year for Texas athletics. Yeah. You know, and the Big 12 is also getting a, a billion dollars a year in, in, in media rights. They're saying that because they're generating all that money, they deserve to be treated a little differently. So what's, what does the rule currently say when it comes to amateur athletes getting paid? In, in, in yeah, the, the rule is changing a lot, and, and the <laughs> NCAA has moved it a bit as well because of previous lawsuits, which we can talk about in a second. Uh, but again, the, the, the rule right now is you cannot be paid anything more than your scholarship plus whatever the difference is between your scholarship and the full cost of attendance. So you can't get a marketing deal with Nike right now. You can't be paid on the side for that. We, we've seen college football players that have YouTube channels, you know, they can't get advertising on their YouTube channel if it references Ooh. who they are because the NCAA argues that, that their popularity is partially determined by the fact that they're a college football player. And that would be, you know, making money off of your talents through the NCAA. <laughs> so right now the, the limit is just scholarship plus the full cost of attendance. Uh, and that's not that much. What would be the ideal scenario for the, for the players? Yeah, so a lot of people think, oh, they just want to blow up the market entirely, and that's not entirely true. They, the, college, the players want a system by which, and, and their ideal dream scenario is you make conferences set their own rules. 
And, and the way that that would work out is, you know, you have the five major conferences, the Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12, mm-hmm. ACC, SEC. They make so much more money than everybody else. And, and they are, the plaintiffs are banking on the idea that if they're allowed to, they are willingly going to open up their checkbook in a variety of different ways. And that may mean a cash in the pocket. You know, every football player gets $50,000. That could mean a, a, a dramatic increase in health spending. It could mean a dramatic increase in educational bonuses. But if you let those conferences set their own rules, that they are going to dramatically increase what they, what they pay for players. And the argument for that is that if you look at those schools, what they're spending on college coaches – what they're sending, spending Ooh. on, you know, football facilities, stadiums, practice facilities. Millions and millions. They're and millions awash. Of they're washing money. They're spending millions. And the argument is that since they can't give it to the players, they're just building a lot of cool, glittery things around the players, so that players are enticed to go there. You know, so if I can't give the star quarterback at Alabama fifty thousand dollars to play, I'm going to pay Nick Saban. $10 million so that the kid wants to go play there. And I'm also going to put a, you know, a PS2 console in his, in his locker so he can play <laughs> with the guy sitting next to him on his own PS2 console. Uh, and, and that is the way that they attract players. The idea here is that if you suddenly allow them to just give the money to the athletes, that a number of schools and a number of conferences will. So it sounds great if I'm the star quarterback for Alabama, mm-hmm. but what if I'm the, the quarterback for Princeton or some yeah. small school? In the yeah, Midwest? no, it's a good question. Um, and that is again that part of that will be determined by the basic market forces. So the Ivy League, where Princeton plays, those schools are not awash in in athletic money. They're not going to do what the Big Twelve mm-hmm. and what the Pac Twelve are, are going to be doing for students. But that's kind of largely where it is right now. And this is what a big point that the players are arguing is that the NCAA likes to say that there's parity in some form, you know, and they, you know, they govern Alabama the same way they govern Southeast Alabama state. Um, (laughs) And that is silly. You know, the Alabama makes $200 million a year in athletics. Most schools beyond the power five conferences make zero or even are in the negative. Um, So, you know, they want to get rid of that kind of fallacy that there is some kind of parity. There's the argument for the players. They say we generate this profit for the universities um, but what's the NCAA say about that? Yeah, so the NCAA has two main arguments. The first being that this amateurism that they have clung so dearly to over the past 10 years or so, they say that that is the reason why people watch. Uh, that you, David, you watch your beloved you know, Penn State Nittany Lions Michigan every Saturday. Wolverines. Michigan Wolverines. because Though I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> because you love the fact that unlike players in the NFL, these kids are there not getting paid because they love football. That That is one of the big arguments. And if people turn away from watching games if people turn away from going to games the entire enterprise falls down that's ncaa's argument Mm -hmm. number one argument number two is that because there is this cap limited to the same cap that every other student is on the star quarterback for the wolverines is just like every other student so who has the upper hand in in this argument yeah so there's two ways to look at it and you can (laughs) you can make the argument for either side uh in, in the o'bannon case four years ago this same judge ruled two things. One, that you know this, this cost of attendance stipend needed to be paid. She also ruled that the rules were anti-competitive and uh, possibly even illegal. That second part of the ruling, the, the more significant one, was struck down uh, by a higher court. So there is at least a legal precedent that the NCAA will lean on heavily in this trial that says that their rules are not anti-competitive. However, uh, in the lead up to this specific case, the judge has made a few pretrial uh, issuances that have possibly swung you know, the, the, the burden the other way. And, and one of those things has flipped the burden of proof 
so that under a normal circumstance in, in a trial like this, the NCAA, uh, it would be the burden would be on the plaintiffs Ooh. to prove that the NCAA rules are antitrust violations. Right now, because of what, what the judge has said leading up to it, the burden is flipped. It's now on the NCAA to prove that its rules are not anti-competitive. And that's a big switch. And, and I've talked to the plaintiff's lawyers a few times. They are very happy about that. And, and they are adamant that that gives them the upper hand. That instead of, you know, innocent until proven guilty, in some ways, <laughs> the NCAA is kind of guilty until proven innocent heading into this. So do you think, uh, maybe your sources have told you, who is going to come out on top on this one? Is there going to be real change? It's fascinating. And, you know, I, I'd like to think that there will be real change, but I, I've been covering college sports long <laughs> enough to know that there are, I mean, there are tremendous forces at play here. You know, we, we've talked about the money. That money talks in a, in a big way. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and these schools have tremendous lobbying power. Um, if the judge rules in favor of the plaintiffs, you can bet that there will be a appeal immediately. And and that appeal could happen with a stay of the ruling or with not. But I would like to think that, you know, this is going to be a while before this ruling, whichever way it goes, before a final ruling is made on this. I mean, However, it, if they do win, I mean, this is this has the potential to totally upend college sports, to forever change the way that, you know, mm-hmm. schools compete for players and probably forever change the landscape of college football and basketball moving forward. Bloomberg News is Eben Novi Williams. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, David. Make sure to follow Eben on Twitter. He's at Novi underscore Williams. That's a TikTok for today. Thanks for listening. And please head on over to iTunes and let us know what you think. I'm Dave Myers. You can follow me on Twitter at David F. Myers. And you can get all your updates on Twitter 24-7 at TikTok. <laughs>